You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. It's National Steam Day in the U.S. No, we're not talking about water vapor. And yes, there is an A in that acronym because... As we all know, we need people from all backgrounds to work across the space industry. Now, National STEAM Day is celebrated every year on November the 8th to encourage kids to explore their interests in science, technology, the arts, and math careers. And nationwide efforts are underway to attract and train young workers through registered apprenticeship programs. We all know that your greatest asset is your team— So we're full steam ahead in support of this great initiative. T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS. T-dress. Go for the Today is November 8th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T-minus. Virgin Galactic announces layoffs. Firefly signs fleet space payload for their lunar mission. UKSA provides 3.5 million pounds to RFA UK. And our guest today is Ronald Burke, AAS president and Aerospace Corporation's lead on space enterprise evolution. Let's take a look at our Intel briefing for today, shall we? And we start our briefing with news of a reduction in force from Virgin Galactic, which was shared late yesterday by the company. Virgin Galactic CEO Michael Cole Glazier sent an email to all employees stating that uncertainty in the capital markets, high interest rates, and geopolitical unrest are all factors in making the decision to cut their workforce. In addition, Cole Glazier's email said that the company will be focusing their efforts on completing the next generation of suborbital Virgin Galactic ships, the Delta space plane, with ambitious plans of once-weekly suborbital flight. With higher ticket prices and higher flight cadence, the hope is that Delta will bring the company to a positive cash flow. However, while Virgin Galactic has begun work on the design of the Delta, it hasn't yet begun building it. And earlier this year, the company said they plan on doing test flights on the Delta in 2025. This week, employees of the space tourism company will be finding out if they've been laid off or not. 
And this all comes within, well, less than half a year of their resumption of commercial space flight. You may remember that the company just had a flight on November 2nd, and they said they've planned on resuming flights again in January. SpaceX launched the first of two planned Falcon 9 launches in less than 48 hours. 23 Starlink satellites were on board the first rocket from Pad 40 at Cape Canaveral. The second launch is planned from NASA's Kennedy Space Center, carrying a cargo dragon for a space station resupply mission, which is scheduled for tomorrow morning. Firefly Aerospace has announced a new agreement with Australia's Fleet Space Technologies to deliver and operate Fleet's seismic payload for interplanetary discovery, exploration, and research, also known as SPIDER, on the far side of the moon. The SPIDER payload will join payloads from NASA and the European Space Agency on Firefly's Blue Ghost lander as part of Firefly's planned second lunar mission in 2026. The governments of the Republic of Korea and the United States of America held the ROK U.S. Space Industry Symposium in the Korean capital of Seoul. The event commemorated the 70th anniversary of the ROK-U.S. alliance, and the symposium was held to promote exchanges between space companies of the two countries and to discuss cooperation measures as a follow-up to commitments made at the third U.S. ROK Civil Space Dialogue in December 2022 and in a joint statement issued by heads of the two governments in April. The U.S. Department of Commerce, Department of Transportation, and Department of Defense presented the latest U.S. policies, regulations, and plans in the space sector, while the ROK Ministry of Science and ICT introduced Korea's policies for space industry promotion, and the Preparatory Office for the Korea Aerospace Administration elaborated on the government's plans to establish the Korea Aerospace Administration. Both governments say they will take steps to actively promote cooperation between their respective space industries based on the recommendations received at the symposium. Deliverables and outcomes will be briefed to government leadership during the fourth U.S. ROK Civil Space Dialogue to be held in Washington next year. SES Space and Defense has been awarded a blanket purchase agreement with the U.S. Department of Defense for Medium Earth Orbit, or MEO, Low Latency, High Throughput Satellite Services, or HTS services. The single award agreement has a ceiling of just under $270 million over a five-year period. SES Space and Defense will continue to support U.S. DoD customers with industry-leading Medium Earth Orbit, or MEO, low-latency HTS services globally. The agreement includes end-to-end MEO managed services with HTS capacity, broadband services, gateway services, monitoring and control services, satellite terminal leasing and sales, field service representative support, training services, and terrestrial backhaul. The U.S. Space Development Agency has awarded space startup SpaceRake approximately $1.8 million in direct-to-phase two SIBR funding. The agreement will provide funding for the company to develop miniaturized laser comm terminals for networking satellites in space. The company says that their terminals are designed to enable a wide variety of satellites to connect to orbital network links like the SDA transport layer, which is currently in development. The Phase 2 SIBR funding will be used to commercialize miniaturized laser comm technology from MIT, along with Space Rake's own patent-pending designs. The UK Space Agency has provided £3.5 million to Rocket Factory Augsburg's UK subsidiary, RFA UK, as part of the European Space Agency Boost Program. 
The announcement was made as the UK science minister visited Saxavord spaceport to see progress at the site and meet key members of RFA UK. RFA UK itself has a permanent launch pad at Saxavord and hopes to launch there in Q2 of next year. The company says that they will use the funding to develop and operate the infrastructure and test equipment needed to enable them to launch their RFA-1 vehicle. And staying in the UK for the next story, UK-based in-space manufacturer Spaceforge has appointed Michelle Fleming as Director of Strategy and Innovation. Michelle joins the growing team based in the U.S., Fleming comes from Zero Gravity Corporation, and during her time at Zero-G, she led the creation of its commercial research program and served as the supervisor of in-flight for astronaut training, scientific research, and public parabolic flight experiences. And Turkey has set its sights on 2026 for the launch of its first domestically developed spacecraft under the Lunar Research Program. According to reports, the country's 10-year plans and targets were determined as part of the National Space Program, with the contributions of the Ministry of Industry and Technology, the Turkish Space Agency, and various institutions in the country. Turkey is working on a spacecraft from system design to detailed equipment development, with long-lead items already contracted. That concludes our intelligence briefing for today. We've included further reading on all the stories that we've mentioned in our show notes. And we've added an explanation on why Saturn's rings will disappear in the next two years. Wait, what? One on the UK space ambitions. And the last one is an opinion piece from Ars Technica claiming that ESA has a bullying problem. Hmm. All those stories and more at space.n2k.com. Hey, T-minus crew. If you find this podcast useful, if you could do us a favor and share a five-star rating and a short review in your podcast app, we would really appreciate it. Your support will help other space professionals like you to find the show and join the T-minus crew. Thanks again. We always really appreciate your support. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our guest today is Ronald Burke, AAS President and Aerospace Corporation's Lead on Space Enterprise Evolution. We all know that there's a lot of groundwork that needs to happen to develop what cislunar is going to look like. So I asked Ron to give me the pitch for where we need to be going to before we get to the end goal. You know, recognizing that uh, cislunar is a greenfield in space, um, largely undeveloped. One of the things that we recognize is that to achieve the sustainable cislunar ecosystem that's called out in our national cislunar strategy, we're going to need a number of foundational layers of infrastructure to be put in place. 
And we've been um, looking at that and, and coordinating across the community, and we've identified 12 foundational layers of infrastructure that are going to need to be put into place. And we've also identified over 80 companies that are planning to build and deploy, operate uh, over 100 systems aligned with those 12 layers of infrastructure uh, in the coming years. The focus here is on U.S. or is this more global? So the focus is on U.S. and allies. So when I think about Sooner, I, I just kind of have a hard time imagining how we get there from here, where we're at right now. It does seem very uh, aspirational and it's wonderful. I just, I'm kind of like, well, how, how, how do we get started on this? What's the next step? Yeah, it's only 240, you know, thousand miles. So it's <laughs> not that far. No. Um, so, so the way that we get started is we, we recognize that there are plans to put up four layers of infrastructure, starting with communications um, and navigation. Uh, and that launching the systems that are that that have the uh, engineering capacity to be able to deliver that functionality that they're intended to deliver, but that they'll work in the cislunar domain, which has some very different attributes. Um, the environment has very different attributes than even the low Earth orbit environment has. Right? There are differences in radiation exposure. Lighting is different, etc. And so. There has to be a proving out of the capabilities to operate in that domain. And there also has to be the establishment of interoperability between the capabilities that these individual companies and government agencies are planning to deploy and other elements of the ecosystem, other systems that represent other infrastructure layers. So the comm systems need to be able to um, work with the power systems, need to be able to work with the in-situ resource utilization uh, systems, et cetera. So that's that's the, one of the more near-term challenges is um, beyond the development of the technology to achieve the functions of these infrastructure layers, we need to work out their interoperability um, and and. Um, ability to be able to work in the environment, the di- very different um, environment of the cislunar domain. It's a big challenge here on Earth for interoperability to be achieved. Uh, and I'm imagining, you know, in, an, in a situation where you know, we can't go visit it in person ourselves, most of us. So that is going to be an interesting challenge. And it feels almost overwhelming to think about a task this big. So where, where are we right now? Like where, who's working on this problem right now? Wonderful question. The AIAA, um, whom you, you recently interviewed, Dan Dombacher, the executive director of AIAA, last year uh, at Ascend established the Cislunar Ecosystem Task Force as a platform for companies and government agencies uh, to come together and share information uh, that's necessary for coordinating at an engineering level the interoperability of their systems. So that has um, made significant progress over the course of the last year. There are 15 working groups within this structure of the AIAA, Cislunar Ecosystem Task Force. Many of those working groups um, have been stood up with co-chairs and members 
and are underway uh, with their uh, coordination uh, processes and practices. There's two other groups that are underway with coordination. Uh, one is the CONFERS Consortium, uh, which is a trade association that is focused on compiling best practices and lessons learned um, associated with what will be uh, needed as standards. Uh, so CONFERS members come together, compile best practices and lessons learned, and then uh, those compiled recommendations are submitted to a standard development organization. Um, and there are several standards development organizations that CONFERS works with, including the International Standards Organization, the ISO, as well as AIAA. Uh, so they also are working in uh, this space, um, having recently extended their domain from a focus on LEO for many years. Their focus is now extended to Cislunar and beyond. And then the third uh, group for reference is the Space ISAC, the Information uh, Sharing Analysis Center, uh, which has a focus on bringing together companies and, and approaches for uh, sharing information. Um, and one aspect of this cislunar domain, uh, people have noted that data is actually going to be the coin of the realm in cislunar. So having the ability to share data um, across the community efficiently is very important. And the Space ISAC community is working on that over. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I can absolutely imagine that being the case, and uh, especially keeping that data uh, secure as well, I imagine would be a, a huge priority as well. Absolutely. This is sort of a soft question, but I, I am curious, like, how are you feeling about the prospects of how this is going? I mean, it is, I'm not trying to downplay, it is a, it is a very exciting challenge, but I imagine it's, it's a daunting one too. So how, how are you feeling about it? Feeling really, really good. I mean, it is a daunting challenge. Um, at, at several levels. You know, one is that it does take a critical mass of capability uh, to be able to get to a, a sort of a minimum threshold of an operational ecosystem, which implies, which indicates that several different companies and government organizations are going to need to be able to successfully deploy their comm systems, their nav systems, their sensing systems, uh, all in a similar time frame so that we get to what we refer to as a go green status, right? That there is an initial operating state of multiple individual functional capabilities that can all support the other, right? So that's both feeling very good that there's as many people and players as there are in the space um, and also recognizing the challenges of actually enabling all of those players to come forward. A, a relative area of trepidation um, is that um, as for the space enterprise rightfully looks for TRL level nine capabilities, systems that have actually flown in space uh, to be deployed uh, in space uh, for operational purposes, there's a fairly significant amount of capability that has not had that opportunity. To, to be flown in space. So an, an enabling area for the space enterprise is test beds and proving grounds that will allow uh, systems and capabilities to be demonstrated and for trust and confidence to be built up in those um, on their path to being deployed for an operational utility in an ecosystem environment. 
These challenges are the types of challenges that really do take a space enterprise, they take a community. And we are so fortunate to have such well-informed and collaborative players in the domain. We'll be right back. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Welcome back. And to close out our show today, I'm going to send a birthday wish out into the universe to someone long departed. Edmund Haley would be a spry 367 years young today were he still alive. Yes, Haley of Haley's Comet fame. It is his birthday today. If you've ever had a drink with an astronomer friend, or perhaps you're the astronomer friend, you may know well the story of why Haley and his work on comets is such a big deal. So if you don't know, the polymath Haley, born in 1656, used his own meticulous observations and, well, math, to correctly predict the 1705 return of the comet in the skies that would later bear his name. It might seem almost quaint now with our modern understanding of how gravity and comet orbits work, but at Haley's time, being able to say, hey, there's actually a regular predictable pattern here, and we don't have to be scared about these phenomena in our skies— that is a big deal. Those comets, they're not a random harbinger of potential doom and despair. Instead, we can eagerly anticipate them using scientific observation and mathematical know-how and think of them as a regularly occurring and natural thing like daytime and nighttime and the changes in the seasons. Yeah, it's commonplace understanding now, but it was absolutely world-changing stuff back then. Halley's eponymous comet last graced our skies in 1986 and following its nice and predictable pattern of coming back to Earth every 76 years, it will make its welcome return to our earthly view in 2061. In the meantime, happy birthday, Edmund Haley. That's it for T-Minus for November 8th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester. 
with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp, and I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.